0: Welcome to the Chris Rawl Show. I am Chris Rawl. Sent out a newsletter on Wednesday. I wrote about college football. You can view that at chrisrawl.com. You can sign up for that newsletter that comes out every Wednesday. Talked about Iowa, South Dakota State and North Carolina, Appalachian State. The two games that kind of grabbed my heart this weekend talk about how improbable it is that that was the case, that they were existing simultaneously, One a 7-3 game that had two safeties and two field goals, the other a game that finished 63-61 in regulation and had 3 million different crazy things that occurred. So go and read that, go and sign up for my newsletter. Again, it's very easy at chrisroll.com. The NFL is back, college football is back, it is an incredible time to be alive, and I want to get onto today's show because I'm talking about both of those sports, I'm also talking about the NBA, and I'm talking about two very important things that I value hope and competition. Now close your eyes and sleep. 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 Last Friday, in a very strange news dump, if you wanna call it that, college football playoff expansion was announced. This was strange on a lot of levels because this is an enormous change that will alter the course of the sport. It was also announced in the midst of opening weekend, the real opening weekend, not that dog shit week zero that featured Nebraska Northwestern, the real opening weekend. We had games on Thursday that were great. Backyard brawl, Penn State, Purdue. We're going into Friday. We're excited for Indiana, Illinois, and Old Dominion against Virginia Tech. And a couple hours before that occurred, college football playoff committee comes out and they're like, yeah, we're, we're actually announcing. It's, it's very illustrative of how this sport is always working against itself because there is no specific governing body. And in a normal scenario, you would not release an incredibly important piece of news. In the midst of your opening weekend, you would probably choose a time when maybe there's not a lot going on, that you could steal all the headlines and have people talk about it. And instead, it was just kind of lost in the shuffle because they announced it and I said, I don't give a shit, go away. I wanna watch football. I'm excited about football. I don't care about the postseason format go away. Stop talking to me about this. So that's going on as we're getting into the weekend. Now the weekend occurs. It's awesome. Five straight days of football. So good. We're here for week two. It's so good. It's just so good. But I think today is a good day to kind of reflect not only upon the games that are going on, but kind of the direction of some of these sports leagues. And the things that I think they're hitting really well and the things that I think are being missed and maybe some ways that those could actually change. Because people are very excited about this college football expansion for the playoff, moving from four to 12 teams. And in a roundabout way, I am excited because it will offer easily the most interesting thing that the playoff has offered, round one. as it was reported the top 4 teams are going to have a bye so now we have teams 5 through 12 playing in round 1 those games are going to be held on campus which is awesome that is very interesting because one of the things that college football has that no other american sport has the game day atmosphere is a plus 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 you know that if you watch college football you definitely know that if you've been to a game in a wide variety of places out stadium in oregon or the swamp in florida or Memorial Stadium in Nebraska. I mean, pick one of 80 different venues that exist and go and watch a, a good college football game there. And you go, this is, this is different. This is different from watching an NBA game or NHL game or NFL game. This is, there's something different with this atmosphere. I love that round one is going to be holding up. I also love that I presume when we get teams five through 12 playing games on campus, you're going to create some really interesting and again, presumably competitive matchups. That's very important because my main complaint against the playoffs so far is this is not competitive. This is not enjoyable. Georgia mollywop somebody, Alabama mollywop somebody. They play a great big whoop de doo Cool. Not my favorite thing. Now, those things will still occur because whoever makes it through these rounds, they will be fed to the wolves in the ensuing rounds. And that's just not going to change unless you can kind of rearrange talent distribution within the sport, which is a whole other issue. But the national champion is not going to change. But what games we view as the most competitive will change. That's very important to note. I'm not saying it's better. I'm not saying it's worse. I'm saying within the actual playoff, it's better because we will get a full round of hopefully competitive and very interesting games. We do not get that now. These neutral site one through four matchups, again, where Georgia pounds on Michigan and Alabama pounds on Cincy, you could not have found two less interesting games in a postseason format than those two games last year. Now you're going to get something interesting. It's going to spawn out into the regular season. And certain games that were not meaningful will now be incredibly meaningful. Certain games that we thought were incredibly meaningful will now be less. So there's a give and a take there. Um, That's just inevitable with expansion in any way. And we're really going to have to see that play out before we can correctly identify and really make up our minds of do we think this is better for a competitive environment overall. You know my thoughts that college football 20 years ago was at its best, even longer than that, 25 before the BCS was even coming in. Actually, even longer than that, 30 years now. We're in 2022. Because from week one on, you just felt the the weight of that competition. A, A loss in week one could completely end your national title hopes. Now, everything was tied around that national title chase, and I think that's what made it great. This will kind of alter... What we're looking at and saying, this is really competitive and awesome, and this maybe is not as cool as it would have been in the past, but what do we think about this product overall? That's the question for college football moving forward. Now, I mentioned the newsletter at the top of the show, and I wrote this in Wednesday's newsletter, and I think it merits a little bit more examination. College football is more entertaining presently the further you get away from the top of the standings. That is a very strange facet of the sport right now. I'm not enthralled by going and watching Georgia and Alabama and Ohio State, which are the three best teams in the nation. There might be a separation between those top two in Ohio State. We don't fully know yet. I'm very comfortable saying there is an enormous separation between those three teams and everybody else. They're really, really good football teams, significantly more so than the rest of the nation. Now, When you look at the best games of the week, they have, in my opinion, two things that are very, very important. That as you're watching them, you can feel whether or not you're associated as a fan with the game or as a gambler or anything. You could just sit down as a casual observer and go, well, this is pretty cool. There are two things that I think are important to create that. Number one is hope for both fan bases. And number two is legitimate competition on the field. Those are two kind of easy things to think about. Um, With the sport of college football, I think there are a lot of games that check these two boxes, and they're not the games that you would think. They're not the big Georgia against Oregon that we saw in week one. Wasn't necessarily Ohio State-Notre Dame. That game, okay, it was competitive. I didn't really feel like Notre Dame was going to win i can't say was checking the hope box for both fan bases the games of the week that really thrive because of those two things it's an iowa south dakota state it's a north carolina appalachian state it's a wide variety of games that we saw last week that we're going to see moving forward that again might not have this huge impact if any at all on the national title race but the further we go along with college football i go i think this is the beating heart of the sport. I don't think it's the postseason format. I don't think it's the national title game. I personally do not give two shits about the national title game. have not for quite some time. Where I get really enthralled by the sport is week one and week four and week seven and just these games that pop out and I go, this is sweet. You can see that reflected within point spreads. You can learn a lot from just studying lines, seeing where they're posted, and then trying to make sense of that. You know, for example, on Saturday, we're getting Ohio State hosting Arkansas State. Not a not a really fair matchup. <laughs> Arkansas State's very bad. I bet their win total under for a good reason. I do not think they're a good football team. Ohio State is a very good football team. They're a 44 and a half point favorite. Um, there is absolutely no interest in this game except from a gambling standpoint. Great, great case for gambling <laughs> being incorporated in sports, especially a sport where you can have this much imbalance. Because then you go, uh, in a normal circumstance, you would never watch Ohio State, Arkansas State. It's like watching a 19-year-old play his 7-year-old little brother in basketball and back and just whoop his ass. You wouldn't want to watch it. But if you have a little prop bet that maybe the 7-year-old will score at one point, now you're interested. If you got that point spread, if you got a total, if you got some prop on the game, very in- it becomes significantly more interesting than zero, <laughs> which is what it is just as a football game. There is not hope from both fan bases. You will not see legit competition on the field if you watch this game. There are a lot of other games going into Saturday that you can check both those boxes. College football, again, has a lot of this. You can learn a lot from that point spread for how interesting a game should be. Maybe where you can keep your eyeballs open going into a Saturday. Like a, looking at some of the spreads right now. A game like Army against UT San Antonio. That would not grab headlines. Your casual football fan would never watch that. Army's a two and a half point underdog. Army's a very interesting team for a lot of reasons. UTSA coming off a crazy, awesome game against Houston, who a lot of people think is going to be the best non-Power 5 team last week. UTSA losing triple overtime by two. There's a pretty good selling point for that game. Hope for both sides, competition on the field. There's a bunch of these, you know, looking down again, Houston plus three at Texas Tech. Very interesting from both of those standpoints. BYU minus three against Baylor in my home state. Very interesting. That's a top 25 matchup. Not all top 25 matchups are created equal. Georgia, Oregon last week versus BYU-Baylor. This will probably have significantly less impact on the national title race because it does not involve Georgia. I would take this game 20 times over because I think it's going to be an interesting competitive football game that BYU fans and Baylor fans both go in thinking, okay, I think we can win this. Fresno State against Oregon State. Same, same time slot. Late night Saturday. It's not going to impact the national title race, I promise you. But Fresno State, plus one, hosting Oregon State, coming off of a huge just blowout win over Boise last week. Fresno State, they could be the best non-Power 5 team. We don't really know. They have one of the best players in Jake Hainer at quarterback. There's a lot of good stuff going on in the slate, but it's not necessarily tied into the national title race. Open competition. Okay, I want to pound these two things home. These are the things. I've thought a lot about this since I started recording this show which has been about a year now, and I really have thought more deeply than I normally would about not just the differences between each sport, but the ways that this sport really has got something unique going for it and how you can maximize that. I think college football is at an interesting crossroads because instead of embracing the thing that truly makes it unique and like, (laughs) creates an incredible amount of fans across this entire country. They kind of are leaning towards the opposite side of things. The, well, we just care about this national title race, so how can we make this the most interesting? Hope and competition. Hope and competition. I'm recording this before the Rams and the Bills play on Thursday night. So you will know the outcome of that game. I obviously will not. But I want to talk about the NFL. Because the NFL offers what all leagues should aspire to try and grab open competition. They are so good at those two things. And you might be hearing that and go, well, okay, that the hope for both fan bases, that's maybe that's a little far fetched here, Chris, you're getting carried away. And I actually do not agree. I think this is alongside the NHL, but I think even more so in the NFL. It's the one sport where the hopes of a fan base can always be there and can turn on a dime, including just these teams that you look at going into the season. You go, this team's going to be bad, but you never really know within the sport because the competition, the level of it is so good. I was reading an article earlier this week from Bill Barnwell, probably my favorite NFL writer. He works for ESPN. He wrote a huge article that was about the pathway for every single team, one through 32 the pathway for each team within the NFL in this season that they could possibly maybe make a Super Bowl. You could not do this in the NBA, (laughs) you know? (laughs) You'd get to about eight teams and you go, well, we don't need, that doesn't matter. Just stop right there. You get past 16 teams and you go, I don't think these teams are even trying, so what are we even talking about? The NFL is different. And I was reading this, I read all 32 teams, and he starts at the, the bottom you know, they just the dregs of the NFL. And I say dregs kind of respectfully because, again, in the NFL, your dregs are still competitive teams. And I want to read you two things. One is about the Chicago Bears. One is about the Atlanta Falcons to kind of illustrate this point that I want to pound home where I think the NFL shines so freaking bright that there is hope and there is competition. And it is always there. The Bears and the Falcons, I think we all agree, are going to be two of the worst teams in football. Alongside the Houston Texans, I would say, if you're gambling, you would expect those three to be the worst teams in the NFL. But he carves out a path and says, you know, yeah, it's highly likely. There's a 0.4% chance this team could make the Super Bowl. There's a 0.6% chance this team could make the Super Bowl. But at the same time, it's not as far-fetched as you think because the margin in the sport, well, if you listen to the Chris Ross show, you know the margins in this sport are unlike any other. So this is what he says about the Bears. The Bears aren't making the Super Bowl, but even here, in the most unlikely of scenarios, it's not impossible to carve out their path. The Packers have been dominant in the NFC North under coach Matt LaFleur, but they can't defy their point differential forever. Aaron Rodgers is 38. The Vikings are transitioning to a new regime and are overturning their roster. The Lions project to be better without being a playoff contender. In a universe in which Rodgers declines dramatically or gets injured, the North could be wide open. Could a Chicago team with a solid defense and a surprisingly effective offense contend? It's really not that far-fetched in the grand scheme of things. You hear it going into season, and honestly, we could be here a month in and laugh at this paragraph, but I think it stands up because you don't know who every year. Teams will flip from last to first and first to last within divisions. If you make the playoffs, anything can happen within (laughs) the NFL playoffs. We know that. I record every show about that. Do you want to think about, well, okay, that Bears thing, that sounds stupid. There's no way Justin Fields and this team that just looks abominable could make the Super Bowl. Well, I I don't think it's as crazy as you think. And to illustrate that, let's read this little quick Falcons tidbit that talks about DVOA, which is a really important metric. It's just a play-by-play basis. Defense adjusted value over average, just, again, measuring how good you are on a play-by-play basis rather than just looking at your win-loss record. It's more indicative of what you are going to be moving forward than just strict win-loss record. This is about the Falcons. The Falcons finished last season 30th in DVOA. It might seem like they're light years from a Super Bowl appearance, but we would have said the same thing about the team that finished 30th in DVOA the prior season, the Cincinnati Bengals. The great case in point. And if you go back and trace the history of the NFL, there's a trillion different examples of this. We're going to the season. You go, nah, that's that's stupid. That's far-fetched. This Bengals team, they can't block. Their quarterback's coming off a traumatic leg injury. They just, just drafted a wide receiver, Jamar Chase, in the first round that couldn't even catch him preseason. They made a bunch of weird signings on defense and free agency. We don't even that doesn't even make any sense. Got a lot of questions about their coach, Zach Taylor. He's never shown anything. And then they're going along and go, oh, the Bengals are kind of oh, the Bengals, oh, the Bengals. Oh. The Bengals are in the Super Bowl and they're leading with six minutes to go in this game. Open competition, open competition, okay? I want to pound this point home. I mentioned point spreads with college football. And the NFL, <laughs> it's a sport unlike any other for a lot of reasons. You can go straight to gambling lines to prove that point. Because college football, you'll have everything everywhere. You'll see that within... NBA games, you'll see that with college basketball games, you'll see that within even within NHL money lines, although those can shrink. And again, I think the NHL is the closest to the NFL as far as inspiring hope and competition in as many fans and people who watch the sport as possible. But the point spreads of the NFL are absurd. if you compare them against what college football has? I mean, we're talking about a sport that on average, over 50% of games are decided by one score. That's reflected if you go and look at any sports book. That's the competition aspect. You never have to go, oh, Ohio State, Notre Dame. What's the spread in this game? I know that they're two top five teams, but oh, Ohio State's favored by 18 points. Well, that doesn't really seem like that's going to be that competitive a game. It was more so. Oregon, Georgia, oh, two top 11 teams. Oh, Georgia's favored by 17. Oh, they won by 6,000. Oh, okay. You very rarely see, well, you don't see point spreads like that in the NFL. And the actual on-field competition, it's just good, regardless of who's playing. That's reflected by the spreads. Opening weekend, let's look at it right now. And as of this recording, you know, these might change by a half point, a point, depending upon what's going on over the next three days, but you get the point for purposes of this conversation. The largest point spread right now, I'm looking at the three sports books that I have up on my other monitor. Largest point spread that we have for this weekend's NFL games is seven points. That's in three games. Baltimore Ravens going to the Jets. We're playing without their starting quarterback, Zach Wilson. Joe Flacco is their starter. Even there, it's a seven-point spread. San Francisco going on the road to the Chicago Bears, a team that, yes, we just thought about how bad they're going to be. There's also sliver chance. You never really know. Okay, maybe Justin Fields is better. Maybe Matt Eberflus is a really good coach, and that could be worth a lot right there. And Indianapolis at Houston Texans. Three teams that everybody agrees are going to be amongst the worst in football Jets, Bears, Texans. And even those teams, you get a point spread hung and at seven points. And I'm looking at it and I go, I don't want to, I can't bet this Baltimore game. I don't want to lay that many. And San Francisco, Chicago, I just bet under 41 because I just don't think anything's going to score, but I don't feel comfortable betting the spread. And honestly, Indianapolis at Houston, divisional game, home dog, getting at least a touchdown. That's an auto bet for me. So I'm on the Texans. Three opportunities where I could just go, you know, maybe you're more casual better. Go, well, this is a gimme. These three teams are going to be dog shit. And it doesn't take into account what the NFL is. Just a very uber competitive league. You see that by just looking on the other end of the spectrum and you go, okay, what are the closest spreads? There are five games right now that are listed at below three points. Virtual pick'ems, if you want to think it in those terms. Just, oh, yeah, any, I mean, a seven-point game is kind of anybody's game, but you get below three points. It's really anybody's game. Rams and Bills, that's already occurred. You will know what happened. I have not, but the point spread's two and a half as of this recording. Browns at Panthers, anybody's game. Jaguars at Washington, anybody's game. Packers, Vikings, divisional game, always going to be anybody's game. And then Buccaneers at Dallas on Sunday night. All of these games, five of them. Below three points. The rest of every other game, it's between seven and three. There's a weekly trend within this sport. And I believe reflects why this league is the most popular in America. Because you can have hope in any individual team in any given week. And you can trust that every Sunday will deliver a bevy of entertaining competitive games. Those are the two things that I think every sport should aspire to. You can make a money line bet on the Jets or the Bears or the Texans and not feel like this is just, this is throwing a stone out into the ocean and maybe I'll find it. I don't even, that's not even a metaphor. (laughs) (laughs) Needle in a haystack. There's a better one. You don't have to feel like it's that. You can go, I mean, this is a seven point underdog. Anything can happen in a seven point game. I think this is, I think this continues to improve. I think this continues to amplify. I think the NFL is in such a good place for on-field product. There's a lot of reasons there. The number one that I keep circling back to as I come into every season and I'm looking at futures and lines and all this kind of stuff. And I'm just going, I can't believe the amount of high quality quarterbacks that exists within the sport and continues to trend upward. I just I can't believe it. I mean, I followed the sport my whole life and 20 years ago. You could count on one hand the quarterbacks that you're just like, this, oh, this is who I want to bet on. This is who I trust in the playoffs, all that kind of stuff. Now you have 20 quarterbacks every season that I'm like, I don't know. You get down to the 20th quarterback and I'm going, this guy's still pretty good. I mean, right at the top, you're going, okay, Josh Allen and, and Matt Stafford and Lamar Jackson and Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes and Kyler Murray and Derek Carr and Justin Herbert and Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady and Dak Prescott and Russell Wilson. That's a hell of a lot of quarterbacks. That on any Sunday, if I bet on or I'm rooting for, I go, oh yeah, I, I love that that quarterback's under center. You even have a bunch of quarterbacks that teams would have killed for 20 years ago. That's like the Matt Ryans of the world or Ryan Tannehill or Jalen Hurts or Mac Jones or even Baker Mayfield, who the last time we saw him when he was healthy, which was 2020, I mean, by most metrics, he was a top 15 quarterback in the league. I actually think it's reasonable to expect that as long as he is healthy. I think he's a pretty good quarterback. <laughs> There's the young quarterbacks that could explode, whether it's Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields or Zach Wilson or players like that. It's just people who are coming up. You know, Malik Willis sitting on the Tennessee Titans bench was awesome in the preseason. And everybody who I respect who has watched him is going, uh, that guy's trending upward and I'm very excited for what he could be in a couple of years. Just the level of competition has never been better within this sport. You see that in quarterback play. You see that in point spreads. You see that when you watch any NFL game. That's kind of why I'm always talking about margins and luck within this sport, because when things are this close, that's what it's going to boil down to. It's not going to boil down to, well, our quarterback was just so clutch and yours wasn't. I'm, I'm like, no, these Joe Burrow going against Patrick Mahomes, these are just two awesome quarterbacks. Justin Herbert playing against Derek Carr week one. Those are just two awesome quarterbacks. I was reading an article in the ringer. It actually came from a couple of weeks ago, but I just had it saved and I hadn't gotten around to it. It was about Matt LaFleur, coach of the Packers. And there was a big stanza within it where they're talking about his relationship with Aaron Rodgers and just kind of their back and forth and all this kind of stuff. And there's a section they're talking about. It's from Kevin Clark. It's actually a really good article. If anybody wants to read it, you should go and do that. Um, they talk to both these people about, well, you, you know, you guys won 13 games every year that Matt LaFleur's been here. Rodgers has had a career resurgence, won the last two MVPs, been A. Also have lost the last three years in the playoffs. Well, you know, what, what would you guys do differently there? And both of them were just like, Well, nothing. I mean, and if you read between the lines of their stuff, Matt LaFleur actually starts going into it. And then he goes, you know, I actually, I don't want to give excuses, but he was starting to say essentially like, you know what? This is just kind of what the playoffs are. It comes down to your punt team couldn't block, or there was a lot of wonky ref calls in that Tampa Bay Buccaneers game, or we just completely imploded and could not stop the run against the Niners three years ago in the NFC title game. Yeah, there are some things you can always do differently, but More than not, you just put yourself in position again and again and again and trust that one of those times you're going to break through, right? It's not like, oh, well, we just, we haven't been clutch and oh, it's, we actually, there's some innate thing that we don't possess as a team, just some things we could have done better. A lot of things that just were out of our control that went against us. Let's hope we can play good again. Let's hope we can win 13 games again this year. Let's hope we're in the playoffs again. And maybe the refs give us a call that we need and maybe we block for our punt team and maybe Mason Crosby makes a field goal when we need it and maybe Aaron Rodgers throws for 400 yards in a game and maybe our defense gets a strip sack at the right time, all that kind of stuff. That's why this sport is the best. Hope and competition. Now, I haven't commented on this, and this will be kind of a, a right turn, but I do think it makes sense in the context of this show about hope and about competition. I live in Utah. The Utah Jazz have just traded Donovan Mitchell within the last couple of weeks. They've now torn down the roster that two years ago was the best regular season record in the NBA. Gobert's out the door for a bunch of draft picks. Mitchell's out the door for a bunch of draft picks and young players. A lot of people have asked, you know, just kind of what my take is on that. Well, I will offer that now. I want to start with the first question because I'm fighting a, a losing battle with the NBA right now because everything that occurs. I circle back to these two points that are the foundation of this show. Just Is this hopeful and does this inspire competition? And I look at this process of of tearing down this team and trading the two stars of it. And I go, uh, is this process hopeful? In some ways, yes. In a lot of ways, no. Does it encourage competition? Definitely not in the short term. Maybe in the longer term. But again, there's a lot of open-ended questions there as far as where you are drafting, who you draft, how they develop, whether or not they want to stay, all of the questions that exist for small market NBA teams. Mitchell gets traded to Cleveland. That's a good spot for him. He will have players there, most notably Evan Mobley and Jared Allen, that will be able to cover up so far the main wart of his career that he does not want to play defense. If he wants to ever give effort there. That would be transformational for his career. I don't know if he wants to. Maybe we'll see. Alongside Darius Garland, that's a really solid young core roster that will presumably be competitive for some time. The trade had to happen. I don't think it had to happen right now. I liked the package that they got back, but I didn't love it. I would have preferred a trade with the Knicks because I would trust in a team that has been a complete shit show, giving you unprotected first more than I would trust a team that, again, looks like it has a really young, stable core that will ensure at least a reasonable level of competition. Giving you their unprotected first, but beyond the trade, beyond what Utah's again Utah's ten million unprotected first and ten million swaps and all these young players that maybe they mean something, maybe they don't. What's Sex going to be? What's Larry Marketing going to be? You know, uh, ooh, what's big Walker Bueller going to be? Just there's a lot of questions about this roster and who's going to be flipped and how competitive you are going to be right now? Well, they're not going to be. We know that. That's probably not a question, but can you follow the, the rebuilding path of a team like Oklahoma City who's now accumulating pieces but also is not good at all at basketball in present day? But at least they have some young pieces that I go, okay, maybe down the road it'll be good. This whole offseason for Utah is more indicative of a larger problem. I think there's a bigger picture issue here when I talk about hope and competition that kind of summarizes the sport in general right now. How do you create and maintain a league that offers hope to every fan base and a competitive product night in, night out? That's the question that I ask of every league. That is the question that on both sides of that, the NBA falls very short presently. This is not the NBA as it currently stands. Going into this season, you know, the 2022-2023 NBA season, If you do the Barnwell exercise of what's the pathway for this team, you know, to not even an NBA championship because that's so far out the window, but just a pathway to being competitive. And I look at this 30 teams that exist in the league and I'm like, I could weed out pretty much a third of the league right now. And I just, let's talk about the Knicks or the Pacers or the Pistons or the Magic or the Wizards or the Jazz or the Thunder or the Rockets or the Spurs. That's nearly a third of the league. I just look at all them and I go, "I'm not interested in watching one game of you in this season." I do not think there is any pathway to where you are an interesting, competitive team night in night out." It's a pretty grim statement: if you value what I value as a viewer or a fan, hope and competition. Again, compare that to the Barnwell quotes that I read about the Bears and the Falcons entering the season, two teams that are picked to finish right at the very bottom of the league. Two of the three worst teams coming into this season along with the Texans. And yes, you can say, oh, these teams, they're probably not going to be good. And you would, you'll be right more times than not. Somebody has to be last place in the league. Somebody has to be second to last place in the league. You also can easily construct, oh, it's not that far-fetched that the Bears could be competitive. It's not that far-fetched that the Falcons could be competitive. It's not that far-fetched that they could be really competitive on their way to a 2-15 and record. We see that all the time in the NFL. I mean, last year, the Jags were the last place team in the league, and their two wins were against the Bills, who were one of the best teams in the league, and the Indianapolis Colts, the last week of the regular season, when the Colts had to win to get into the playoffs, and everybody just said, oh, it's a gimme, they're going to win, Jags have nothing to play for, the Jaguars won it right. Imagine reading the Bears and Falcons pieces that I did at the start of the show and trying to hear similar quotes uttered about a team like the Utah Jazz or the Rockets in 2022-23. It's impossible. It is impossible to construct a path where those teams could be in the playoffs and suddenly things broke right and now they're contending for an NBA championship. It is impossible. This is what all sports should aspire to. I firmly believe this. I will hammer this point home again and again and again and again because you have a a roadmap. You know, the NFL sits there and, and, yes, football is more popular as a sport in general because it's just, it's the perfect blend of Cerebral and physical. At the same time, there's a bunch of other things that it does to ensure hope for every fan base and competition night in, night out for every game that these other sports just fall flat on their face. To close, I want to circle back to college football. A sport that kind of exists closer to the NFL than the NBA, but it's also out there, and there's a lot of different things that It could do to improve, and there's a lot of things that are going to happen that may or may not improve. It's kind of open-ended. It's a sport that's perpetually at a crossroads. College football has been for as long as I've been alive. Um, Once again, it's it's there. It's altering their postseason format in the midst of a million other changes taking place within the sport. It will be different. Even next year compared to this year, it'll be different. But it always is if you really, truly think about the history of the sport. And maybe I'm just feeling optimistic today because college football is back and I feel amazing and I'm gambling on it. And there's always going to be games that offer this blend of hope and competition, even if the ones at the top don't necessarily. But I do think there's always some kind of hope threaded through each and every transition, which is happening every day within the sport, which is happening every year within the sport, every five years, every decade, over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And over, and over. I want to read it's longer. But I think it's a great summary of just kind of the hope that is threaded into fandom. And specifically for this, college football and following the sport, even as it changes and even as some things occur that I talk about a lot in the show that I don't necessarily like, there's always something there that piques your interest. This comes from Bill Connolly of ESPN. Again, it's longer. I think it's really good. And I do think it is a very hopeful note to end today's show on before we get into another fantastic weekend of football games. So here it goes. College football is enormous. It's bigger than all of us. It is a living, breathing ecosystem to itself. The ultimate long tail experience. It is a limitless rabbit hole. The more you dig, the more things you find that someone loves and cares about, and the more you start to love and care about them too. Television ratings go up and down based on the precise combination of big and well-timed matchups. Attendance at the FBS level has inched down a bit in the 2000s, but is still cumulatively enormous. The sport remains beloved and constantly obsessed about and doted on by those who love it most. And, since virtually the day it first became relevant, those who love it most have also attempted to predict its demise. Every rule change, from the legalization of the forward pass to the targeting rule, has been decried as a mockery of Walter Camp's vision, a confirmation that kids these days aren't as tough as they used to be and a sign that the sport is embarking on its own downfall. Every new interpretation of the rules, especially those involving tempo, kicks up a wave of existential hand-wringing from coaches and the commentators most closely tied to those coaches. Every concession the sport makes to television has been seen as a betrayal of all morals and values and a clear sign of impending doom, even if every major team sport has made similar concessions. Beloved baseball writer Roger Angel, not a natural-born harrumper, was harumping about television's increasing influence 55 years ago. The topic has existed for quite a while. Every shift the sport makes towards increasing player rights, from freer transfer rules to the possibility of actually paying them for their contributions to the sport, has been met with not only grumbles, but outright derision. Nothing will kill the sport faster than players having actual agency even though people said the exact same thing about baseball free agency and every major player-friendly development at the professional level, and there was no decrease in popularity to be found in the following years. From NIL to the transfer portal, from the SEC's dominance to ESPN's, from super conferences to the current college football playoff, there has been plenty for traditionalists to worry about of late, but the game charges on. I have followed college football since I was in elementary school. I still retain a decent amount of encyclopedic knowledge about the 1985 Oklahoma Sooners, and I have based a good portion of my livelihood on writing about it. I am as concerned for its future as anyone. But of all the pressing issues it faces at the moment, I cannot even pretend to worry about an expanded playoff. It will change the game in many different ways. We will find we like some of the effects and dislike others. And this indomitable sport will continue to inch on down the road regardless. Thank you for listening to The Chris Rawl Show. This podcast is produced by Weston Tanner. Remember to go and sign up for my newsletter. I've written about college football this last week about Iowa, South Dakota State and North Carolina Appalachian State. You can access that at chrisrawl.com if you want to see it. You can sign up for the newsletter that comes out every Wednesday. It's free. Also at chrisrawl.com, just hit the subscribe button. Now we move on to the college football and the NFL weekend, the first weekend of the year where we have both of those working together in unison. What a time. Enjoy yourself. I'll be back here on Tuesday to talk about the margins.